Welcome to Divorce is Not a Destination. I'm Dr. Lisa Summerauer, a breakup and divorce strategist. If you've experienced a breakup or a divorce, you already know how stressful it can be. But here's the thing, divorce isn't the end of your story. It's a new beginning starting from where you are right now. So join me for a unique blend of humor and straight talk as we navigate the ups and downs, drama and trauma, and emotional roller coaster ride experienced when a relationship ends. You won't be alone. I'll introduce you to guests who share their experiences and success stories. Come here for actionable tips, tools, and strategies that empower you to move forward. Whether you need healing, guidance, or a fresh perspective, I'm here to remind you it's your life your journey here on Divorce is Not a Destination. Good evening. Good evening. Hi, Damali. It's good to see you here. I just quieted Waitbot. I am a little horse. I've been doing a lot of traveling the last three days. Uh, this week, I had a, a death in my very close circle and I went to the funeral Tuesday and it was very quick. Um, and so I have not been getting a lot of sleep, but I am, I'm excited to be here today. I am excited. I'm excited to be here every day, but I was really looking forward to this just to get back on here because we're doing this four part series. And I think because I'm getting so engrossed in the reading, uh, about narcissism that it's just, it's intriguing me. And I've been trying to devour everything that I possibly could and, and listen to a bunch of things, but I also invite you to do that too. So let me go ahead and get started. Welcome to Divorce is Not a Destination. And today's show I am going to be doing, uh, this is part three of my four part series. And tonight it's who narcissists target, who narcissists target. And I'm inviting you to answer this question for yourself. Are you a target? Are you a magnet rather? Are you a magnet for narcissists? I'm Dr. Lisa Summerauer. I'll tell you my answer to that question as we go through this. I just had this conversation with a girlfriend. I'm a breakup and divorce strategist. I help people process the hurt, the devastation and pain, any of the dysfunction that they've experienced from an unhealthy relationship. I want to see them move forward. I want them to emerge with this confidence and their ability, be confident in their ability to thrive beyond that relationship and live the life that they desire to live for themselves. I do believe that empowered people empower people. And I want to be a part of making that happen for individuals, one person at a time. And this show is an extension of my doing that through my coaching practice and my Divorce is Not a Destination program and a book that I'm in the process of finishing right now. So this venue just gives me a great way to open the conversation up to a larger audience so that we can actually have a conversation and learn from each other. And I love having the live audience here, but as many of you know, um, this show is also streamed on some of your favorite streaming platforms. And it's also on my YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube and type in Divorce is Not a Destination, you can find all of my previous episodes and uh, you can get caught up there. So I'm going to share information during this show, and then I will open this up for questions, comments, thoughts, reactions to whatever it is that, um, that I cover. And that's when I get a chance to hear what the audience is thinking. And because this program is really designed to help people who are coming through difficult relationships, um, I like to make sure that we all keep that in mind as we're sharing. I want to make sure that it's comfortable for anybody to listen to, whether it's an individual or someone who may be in a group that's going through support. 
I work with an organization that works with primarily women who have come out of abusive relationships. And if any of them want to get on here, I want to make sure that we're, we're communicating in a way that is beneficial for them. So just keep that in mind as uh, if I, when I open the floor for comments or questions. And today, what I'm going to be looking at as I look at who narcissists target, I'm going to be focusing on four types of people. And depending on who you read and what you read, you'll see a, a lot of different things, but a lot of them will fit into one of these four categories. If you're of the opinion that they're not all looking for someone who is perceived to be weak or vulnerable or excessively needy, any of those things. And, and what I find, we talked about the first week, we talked about the difference between narcissistic traits and a narcissistic personality disorder, narcissistic traits and a personality disorder. Uh, the second week, and I went through nine of those traits. The second week, I talked about the five different types of narcissism. And so we know that there is a overt narcissist, which is the one that a lot of people tend to uh, think about when they think about a narcissist. They think about that person who is just almost belligerent, like they're really confident. Um, they don't think really of anybody but themselves all the time in every situation. That's that overt not narcissist. But we also learned last week there is a covert narcissist that's much more low-key um, and just as troublesome if you're in a relationship with them. But tonight I'm going to be looking at the four types of people narcissists tend to uh, be attracted to. And it doesn't mean these are the only types, but as you're listening, I want you to make sure I want you to take notes and see if this sounds familiar to you because, because you're like, Oh my gosh, this is the last three people I dated. Or are you hearing some things that make you understand something about yourself or a relationship that you might've been in? And I say all that, and I'm going to go back to the beginning that obviously we are not here diagnosing anyone. We don't have the ability to diagnose anyone as a narcissist. So we're primarily, identifying for ourselves narcissistic traits, not saying that somebody definitely has the disorder. At the same time, I am sharing information with you so that you can listen to some of these markers and pay attention that if you start seeing a lot of these signs, it's not about you waiting for a medical diagnosis. You get to diagnose for yourself if this is somebody you want to continue dealing with because you're already getting that feeling in your gut. My mom used to say, trust your gut. And she was so right. You're already getting that feeling in your gut that something about this is not feeling good to you. And honest to goodness, you don't need a clinical diagnosis for that to be 100% correct and enough. So trust yourself. Trust yourself. Obviously, if you're married to this person or you've been in some long-term relationship and you feel like it's warranted, then it would behoove you to try to get a medical, some medical advice. But I will tell you, one of the things that I was reading on this this week went back to something Dr. Phil said, you can't fix a narcissist. This woman was really, really clear and I should have written her name down. She said, you cannot fix a narcissist. The best thing you can do if you're in a relationship with a narcissist or someone that is, uh, let's see, someone who is demonstrating all of the behaviors of someone with possibly the disorder, but definitely more of the traits than you want to deal with. She said, if that's your reality, get out and get out quickly. Get out as, as safely. I'm going to say preface that safely uh, because one of the things that I, I, I'm learning in one of the coaching programs I'm in right now, most of the uh, 
the opportunities that we might see for somebody to leave don't look like opportunities for them. And it takes somebody seven or eight attempts to get out of an abusive relationship. Um, and even when they do get out, they're not safe yet. The first 30 to 90 days is when a high percentage of homicides actually happen. So when I'm on here talking about these things, I always want you to be mindful because I, I'm trying to, I want to keep myself mindful that we're talking about some really serious stuff and we may have fun. We may have um, opportunities to find levity in some of the conversations and situations, but there are people who will be listening to this who are in really difficult um, situations that could be dangerous for them. And so it's never as easy as, oh, you just need to get out of there because sometimes people really don't have any place to go. And it sounds easy to those of us who aren't in it. And it sounds easy to those of us who have a different mindset. But when that's your reality, it, things look a little bit different from, from the other side. So I'm gonna talk about these four types of people that narcissists are attracted to. And then I'm gonna check in and see if anything sounds familiar to you. So one of the things that, like I said, you might be surprised is that they're not looking for uh, necessarily weak people people who are needy, people who are vulnerable. Uh, many people believe this because they think those folks are easy targets and that they're easier to prey on. They're gonna be easier to manipulate. I have one, uh, one scientist, one doctor that said, you pick the narcissist, that you as, the, as the, the, the person they're dating, you actually pick them because there's something about that personality when they are presenting themselves to you initially, that looks really attractive to you. And maybe it's familiar. I had another one say, you don't pick narcissists. Narcissists pick you because they already know what they're doing. They are, they're tapping into things about you that they think they can navigate around that are going to benefit them. And so the narcissist picks you. So two completely different perspectives from two different doctors who deal with people with narcissistic disorders. So I would say this. It's probably a little bit of both, and it could be an either or. At the end of the day, once you're involved with them, whether it's a few days, a few weeks, months, or whatever, it really doesn't matter who picked who. What you're learning now are some, some things for you to be aware of so that you're paying attention, so that you don't accidentally pick one if you can avoid it. Uh, what what uh, one of the, the coaches who works with, with people dealing with narcissists told me, she said, you're not going to see a lot of what they're doing in the beginning as being problematic right away because that's how they design it. They're not coming in week one doing all of the crazy stuff that they might do 18 months in. Week, the, in the beginning of the stages, they're the perfect chameleon. They're, they're trying to be all the things that you seem to want or need or desire so that they can ingratiate themselves to you so that when they do start acting up, you're more likely to excuse it because you're always trying to get back to who they were in the beginning. Like, well, I don't know what's going on with them. They, they weren't like this in the beginning. I, something must be happening. I want to work with them. And we're going to talk about one of those types. So let's look at, they're, they're looking for a certain type of person. Not necessarily weak and vulnerable. They're actually looking for strong and capable people. And this was a big flip for a lot of people because they were like, no, that strong and capable people would be able to spot them a mile away. Not necessarily. They're looking for strong, capable people. And what they do is when they get one, they find a vulnerable spot. They find a, a, maybe a, a little weak link or a, a little chink in that armor that they can then strategically manipulate. And the reason they want someone who is strong, because they want people who are a good reflection on them. So one of the people that they look for is that strong person. 
They want to target somebody who is strong-willed and talented. They are attracted to characteristics that they admire because it makes them look good. My mom used to say, I say this a lot. Don't mom, did you know you said so many things that I actually remembered? So my mother used to say, <laughs> even a dog wants somebody he can take home to meet his mom. Right? Everybody wants somebody that makes them look better. That's a positive reflection on them. And narcissists, particularly when they're looking for that strong person, they want somebody around that is going to make them look good. They want somebody that can boost their self-esteem, that will validate them. Um, somebody who has great association. So if you have good relationships or a good social network, a support system, they may not have that, but they see it in you and they like it. They Because they're now going to come in and try to impress the people in your circle, and they are masterful at doing that. Um, they are likely to be attracted to all of those traits. And one of the reasons why is because it makes them feel really powerful when they can tear it down. Is that just twisted, right? It makes them feel good when they can tear it down. And this is the analogy that I use. I, I was talking to a girlfriend of mine about an hour ago, ago and she said, I don't understand that. Does it, that. Why would you want to get with somebody and then break them down? So if you pick someone who's already weak and vulnerable, and that's sort of like easy prey, and not that some of them don't, because that person just may be there. They're like the one that they can always count on when they're not out doing other stuff. But look at a, an athlete. If you've ever been on a team or been a really competitive athlete, there's always that other athlete or a team that is just, they're just not good. They're just not good. So say you're in a regional, you know, in a region and, and the worst team in the region, you play them and you beat them. And people are like, yeah, hey, you beat, well, you beat the worst team in the league. There's really not a lot of reward in that. The win is still great. It's always great to get a win, but there's a different feeling when you beat the worst team in the league than when you beat the four-time champion in the league and you weren't supposed to beat them. So it's something about taking that better team or that bigger team down. And this is the analogy that I use for narcissists like this, that they want somebody that has all of these positive attributes, these wonderful characteristics, and then they want to be able to tear them down and control them. And so if you're strong, successful, you have financial stability, you have social status, you got a great circle of friends, and you seem to be moving forward in life, you could be a really good target for a narcissist because you're, you're that shiny thing that somebody who's an abuser wants to be able to control and then slowly tear down. And so that's one of them. Some of them, some narcissists actually go for certain types so that they can tear them down because it makes them feel better. You know, some people, you probably know friends, not that they are necessarily narcissistic, but you know people or you work with people who are constantly insulting other people and it makes them feel better. That's part of this mentality. It's like, if I can find somebody who's got all their stuff together and then break them down, I feel better about myself. And that's somebody that's got such low self-esteem. It's not, it's not in them to soup you up to make them feel better. They need to tear you down to make you feel better. But then there are other uh, narcissists that their, their abuse, they just get pleasure in causing chaos. So it's just, it's like a game for them. It's a game for them. So that first person out of these four is the one, the narcissist who looks for that strong person. They will also look for people who have vulnerabilities. Um, and this is because some of them want to know that the little games that they're playing, the little schemes that they're devising, 
that they actually work and they want to be able to win. So if they can figure out a way to have, like, if you could say this, a guaranteed win. So if they find somebody who's maybe at a really vulnerable point in their life. So be mindful. And, and this is interesting. I just thought of this. My sister used to tell me not to start dating somebody when I wasn't like on my game. Like if I just, you know, if you come out of a bad relationship or you just have some kind of crisis in your life or something just doesn't go right. She's like, wait until you are operating on all cylinders because some people are really attracted to somebody who looks like they have everything together, but they're just kind of down. And then when you get back up, they can't deal with it and it just throws them completely off and they want to tear you down now because they're, it, it makes them feel bad because you seem to be looking and doing so well. And so because they want to win, there are narcissists who do chase people who have vulnerabilities. And I'm not saying it's a vulnerable person, but like I said, could be a really strong, successful, skillful person, but they find that vulnerability. They find that weakness. Maybe you got crazy daddy issues. You know, maybe you've shared that the last couple relationships, they all cheated on you. Whatever this thing is that seems to be the, the, your, the, the kryptonite in your world, if the narcissist can figure out what that is, that's the vulnerability that they're going to go with. Because if they can make you feel better and you help validate their, them being a great person, you're in. Because they want someone who's going to validate their feelings and then, like I said, make excuses and overlook their flaws when they start slipping back to who they actually are. When the when all of the veneers start coming down and they start doing things, you're like, oh, but that's that's not who they are. That that's outside of the norm for him. He doesn't usually, you know, behave that way. And when you start making excuses for them, they that's like another step in. They know that they're they're in. They want somebody who's going to stay with them even through those narcissistic um, abuse episodes. And as crazy as this may sound to, to some of us, it's because it's really easy for people to go, oh, once I see that, I would be out. Unfortunately, it doesn't really happen that way. And, and like I said before, the reason it doesn't happen that way is because they have ingratiated themselves to you by this point. They have they're that person that you thought you were looking for. They basically what we call love bombing. They have done all the right things, said all the right things, met all the right people and impressed all of them. Uh, that difficult aunt thinks they're phenomenal. The person in your family who hasn't liked anybody you've dated since ever thinks, but this person's different because they really work hard at being that guy or that girl. And so once that has happened, you have this image of them so when they start making little mistakes or you start seeing these little flaws or these little episodes or outbursts, it's out of character. That's what you think, that it's, this, is not, this is not who he normally is. So you forgive it. And that goes on long enough for you to start questioning yourself. And by then, you're basically in their house of mirrors. So um, this doesn't mean that the person that they're going after is weak. It's just that they have, like I said, they've tapped into that vulnerability. And you didn't know because you weren't supposed to see that coming. So there's this, this dichotomy between they want someone who makes them look really good. And then they look for how they can tear that person down, looking for, like I said, that chink in the armor. And then the caveat, they want you to get to a point where you start thinking, is it me? You start blaming yourself. Now, in two weeks, I'm going to do a show on, I don't know if you've been tracking this, the actor Jonah Hill his ex-girlfriend was a, or is a scuba instructor, uh, not a scuba instructor, a surfing instructor. She's a surfing instructor. Her name is 
Sarah Brady. And they dated for a year or two. Um, and she just recently started posting text messages that the two of them had exchanged a year ago when they were still together. And when you talk about taking blame for things or feeling bad about something, this person uh, shared all of these things. And one of the things she wrote is every young girl should look at this so that if she has a guy talking to her like this, these should be signs for you to figure out your exit strategy to get out of the relationship because it's abusive language. And so I'm going to do a show in two weeks on this conversation, but I bring this up here, not because I think Jonah Hill is a narcissist, so I don't want to put that out there. I am going to dissect their exchange because there's some really interesting conversation in there, even from her, where you kind of read it and go, wow, it's almost like she's feeling like she's done something wrong. And that's because the way he communicated to her, and apparently that's how the dynamic in the relationship had, had become, that she started kind of taking like, well, what else can I, what can I do to fix this? She started thinking this was her fault or she could somehow fix this. And in the case of a narcissist, you're never going to fix it. This is just all part of the manipulation. There is no fix. If you think you fixed it, they will change the rules of the game. They will change the playing field all around so that even what looks like a fix will not be a fix now. And it will still be your fault. So it could be uh, the things that they go after could be some trauma from your past. Maybe it's naivete. Maybe you're a little younger and they're using your inexperience to take advantage of that. Maybe, like I said, it's a string of bad relationships or it could be your particular attachment style. And you know, I did a series on the four attachment styles. Anxious attachment in particular uh, would be one that would come to mind for me. If you have a very, if you're really high on the anxious attachment style, it's probably going to be a lot easier for a narcissist to get you to start feeling like a lot of this is your fault because that comes with a lot of its own insecurity and this uh, need or real strong desire to want to stay in the relationship. So you might be more susceptible to the mind games that a narcissist is going to play. But mind you, narcissists typically, they're chasing, they're chasing a unicorn. <laughs> they're chasing something that doesn't even exist. Um, they are looking for perfection that doesn't exist anywhere. And the reason it's important to understand that is because when you're chasing something that's impossible to catch or impossible to find because it's not out there, you are always going to end up disappointed. And that is what happens with a narcissist. They have unrealistic expectations about what their partner should be, how their partner should be, and who their partner should be. And this is a, this is a new phrase that I learned this week, and now I'm going to share it with you. It's called object constancy. Object constancy. Object constancy for most of us is our ability to maintain a positive emotional connection with somebody, even if they have hurt you or gotten you angry or disappointed you in some way. And I don't, and nothing major, just regular life. It could be a family member, a friend, a neighbor, somebody that you've got a, an emotional bond with does something that disappoints you, hurts you, and you can recover from it. You still can look at that person in a positive light. You can maintain an emotional connection, even if they are physically away from you. There's distance. Narcissists have what they call an unstable object constancy, which means they're going to be really unhappy when all the shine of the relationship wears off. When they 
have their feelings hurt or you tell them they're doing something that you don't approve of, you want them to change something about themselves. Basically, when your human flaws start showing, when you're not showering them with praise, when you notice and speak about an imperfection, um, or maybe you have a need that's not being met, narcissists are going to be done. That's, that's when they start. They don't just look for chinks in the armor at that point. They are using a sledgehammer. They're breaking the glass. They now are going to start looking at you because they have unrealistic uh, vision as well. They will see things and magnify the problem. And now you will become the enemy because you had the audacity to decide that they were not perfect. And so their inability to have a stable object constancy, their unstable object constancy causes them to just go off kilter with that. So that's something to look at. So if any of this is sounding familiar, maybe not you, but someone you know um, has been in one of these relationships, hopefully this is bringing a little clarity, even if it's one from your past. Um, if, if this sounds like, wow, that's somebody that I used to date and this sounds woefully familiar. So the third type, Type A personalities, type A people also are attractive to narcissists, which is interesting. And, and I, look, I, my mom told me I was type A. I think I was five. I didn't know what it meant. Um, I knew it was, I couldn't tell if it was a compliment or not. Mom, was it? Anyway, type A personalities, attractive to narcissists. Now, this is something I looked up because type A and type B, they're both on a continuum. So you can be a type A uh, personality and be here on the continuum or here on the continuum. There isn't just like, oh, if you're type A, you're here. Because all the way on one end, they're competitive, really time specific, can be hostile and aggressive. That's all the way to the extreme end of type A. And then all the way to the other end where you're at type B, relaxed, patient, easygoing. So somewhere in there on that spectrum, if you're type A, You've got a range. You may not be as competitive as other type A's. You may not be hostile or aggressive at all. Um, and so know that because I, I just don't like pigeonholing people thinking, well, if you're type A, you're all like this and we're not all the same. Um, here are some of the, the more moderate attributes. They tend to have many strengths. They like being inspirational. They like pushing other people to succeed. We got a couple people on here like that. Um, but they can also be, those traits can make them uh, attractive to narcissists, mainly because of some of the things I shared already. They like people who are go-getters. They like people who are successful. They like people who operate in nice social circles. They like anybody who, if I'm, they're with them, it's a good reflection, a positive reflection on them. The other thing about type A personalities that make them really attractive to narcissists is type A's tend to want to give more than they receive. They want to give more than they, they receive. And I like this because it says extreme type A personality. They will say no, this is extreme. Remember I said type A it, all by itself, forget type B. Type A runs on a continuum. So you could be at one end or the other. An extreme personality for type A is the person that says no to anybody doing them favors. They are, and I, I've got friends like this. They're always saying no. This is great for a narcissist because a lot of them are freeloaders and it doesn't mean that they're just going to lay around on your sofa and do anything, but they're looking for that person who doesn't really want anything from them because then they don't have to put themselves in a position to give. It's one less thing they've got to pretend that they care about doing. So it's something to be mindful of 
if you have that personality where you're always, always, always giving, know that just have your radar up when you get into a relationship with somebody because if you start seeing a lot of those narcissistic personality traits we talked about in the first week, if you hit that four or five of them and you're thinking, man, I'm always, I'm the energizer bunny. Like I'm always trying to put things out and give things an offer and never taking anything, but this person's not reciprocating. And while I don't ask for it and I tend not to want it, maybe I need to just see if they have the capacity to reciprocate just to find out. Cause one day you might need something and you find out you're with somebody that doesn't know how to give it or doesn't have it to give. Type A's also tend to be pretty logical people, which is a good trait for the most part, right? This is the thing with a narcissist. If you're logical, you're 10, we, and I'm going to say we, we tend to look for explanations for everything. So we're trying to make the pieces to the puzzle make sense. So if we're dealing with somebody who does something that now it looks like out of character because they started off, you know, giving us everything we thought we wanted and being that cool, neat person and impressing all of our friends and family. And now we start seeing this other side of them where we're like, oh, that wasn't that wasn't kind of cool. You go, you know what? But that's out of character. He's he she they've never acted like that before that that's they've, they've had a rough week at work. We will start making excuses, not because we're daft, but because we are so reasonable and logical. We just think that logical people do logical things. And if it's out of character, there's a reason for it. Unfortunately, with a narcissist, when we do that, it helps them create this alibi that they didn't have to think up for their bad behavior that is only going to continue to get worse. So I, I will put this in as like a, a commercial here. If you realize that's you or you're, or you realize this could be the kind of relationship that I've been, I'm in, or you realize already now that you were in a relationship like this, it's not about beating up on yourself because as most therapists will tell you, it's really not as easy to spot them as you might think it is. And you may not notice it until you're in it. But when you hear these things, the reason I love having these conversations is because it will be in your mind now. And if you're talking to a friend who's describing a person that they're involved with, you might want to say, hey, you know, this might be a good time for you to go talk to a therapist, share with them what you're sharing with me. And let's see if you're dealing with somebody that has more of these traits than you want to deal with. It doesn't matter. Like I said, it doesn't matter if they never get diagnosed as having a narcissistic personality disorder. We're not here to be clinicians. Um, I'm here to get you to pay attention so that you can decide for yourself. I don't care if he's not diagnosed or she's not diagnosed. What I care about is I'm seeing more traits than I want to live with. And it's time for an exit plan. It's like Noah, uh, what's that guy's name? Jonah, Jonah Hill's girl, ex-girlfriend said, if you have a boyfriend talking to you like this, it's time for you to have an exit strategy. So we don't want to inadvertently help them with these alibis. So sometimes it's, it might be good to just sit back and just take note. Just be the observer in the relationship for a while and see what's going to happen. Don't uh, prejudge. Don't make these positive assumptions about what you think is happening. Just don't put any weight on it at all and see if you start seeing a pattern. Check if you see a pattern. This is another good reason to keep a journal um, because the desire to understand could be the problem. I had a, I had a, a conversation this week, heard a, a young woman talking about the early part of her relationship. She was talking to her boyfriend and she said, look, I'm pretty much a loner. She said, I'm not real big on a lot of humans. 
So that isn't something that would surprise me in somebody that I'm dating. She said, he used the term, I'm really territorial. And she said, I heard it. And she had that feeling. Remember I said, my mom said, trust your gut, trust your gut. She had that feeling in her gut. She said something about it didn't sit right. But she said, you know, he's been, you know, really good. He's a gentleman, blah, 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 blah. She said, and I just slept on it a day or so. And I, she just said, you know what? He's probably just traditional. He said he was a traditional guy. And that's his way of saying, you know, I want my woman to be my woman and we're going to do things together. And she, she rationalized it. She went into that logical brain and rationalized it. Later on, she found out that he meant territorial in the worst sense of the term. Now, I don't know if, if any of you heard territorial, would you think that that could possibly be a compliment? I don't know. But it just goes to show that if we rationalize on their behalf without having a conversation, even a question at that point might not have been a bad idea to say, when you say territorial, what do you mean? Or tell me what that looks like. And the other thing that we can do it's just sit with it for a bit. Take another, take a couple of weeks and see what that might look like and how is it feeling. And if you're still getting that feeling in your gut that is basically saying, why are we still here? It's okay to pay attention to that. And again, we don't need a therapist to approve that. You can approve that all by yourself. So the problem with, with, with this, this thing about narcissists is that they're playing this game that we don't know they're playing and as soon as you think you might have caught on, they change the rules on you. They, they're going to keep changing it because the whole point of this is to keep the person off balance so that they feel like they're the one in control. They're manipulating the situation and they're figuring out what do I need to do to make this person care about me enough that when I really start showing my true colors, they don't want to leave. So that was the third person. The fourth one somebody who is is highly empathetic somebody who is highly empathetic because empaths have a lot of compassion and a lot of understanding and they they are givers and the narcissist thrives on someone who who worships them so this is the thing you may not be worshiping them but that feeling of that empathetic feeling of compassion and understanding that's the person who's like, no, so tell me, tell me what's going on. You seem like you're having a bad day or look, I really want to understand why this happened. And that kind of compassion and that leaning in for them feeds that desire to be worshiped. And I'm just going to break down with an empath. An empath is somebody who is highly attuned to the feelings and emotions of people around them. So you can be empathetic, but then an empath is someone who almost feels your emotions with you. Like you're crying and upset and you'll look over and your friend is crying too. Like they went through the experience with you. That's very empathetic. Um, and it's this ability to discern what other people are feeling. It, it just goes beyond being em empathetic to being an empath, right? So somebody with those uh, attributes, with those characteristics, if, an, if a narcissistic person picks up on that, that could be a magnetic pull for them. That could be a magnetic pull. Now, when I started off earlier and I said one of the one of the doctors said that narcissists pick us and another one said we pick them. This is how it could be either or or a combination of both, because if you are empathetic and a narcissist picks up on that, 
and they begin to lean in and cater to that because they know you're going to demonstrate that compassion and that desire to be understanding. If they pick up on that, they're going to lean into it and it is going to make you want them more. So, so there's, there's definitely a lot of room for this mutual selection process to happen. Um, the, the woman, one of the, one of the books, I'm going to recommend this book. I don't have it here. It's called the empath survival guide. Um, said people with a high level of empathy, they actually can end up blaming themselves, uh, about things going on in that relationship. Even though they aren't getting anything back, they feel so bad about what seems to be happening to the other person that they start taking ownership of it. They start, it's like, what, what else could I have done? Now, to some degree, a lot of us do that or, or have done it. You think, why didn't I notice this? What else could I have done? Um, is something wrong with me that I didn't pick up on this? And so, like I, like I said, and I'm going to try to be mindful of sharing this each show because I really want people who are listening to this, the live, our live audience is great, but I know a lot of people pick this up in streaming or they're going to get it on my YouTube channel. And I don't know who's going to be listening, but I know that my shows tend to lend themselves to people who have been in difficult relationships. They're struggling in one now, or they're trying to sort out one that they've gotten out of, or they're, they're in the process of dealing with it. And so I want to always be sensitive to the fact that this could be real life for somebody. And the goal is not for you to beat yourself up because you didn't have a crystal ball to see this coming. You weren't designed to see this coming. You weren't supposed to see this coming. This is how good narcissists are. This is what they do for life. I'm not going to say for a living. This is how they live their life. And it's really difficult for somebody to pick up on all of those nuances because you are looking for what you're putting out. So if that's not what you're putting into the world, you're probably not going to be as tuned in to look for it. Who am I going to quote right now? My mom, again. I asked her, I said one time, I can't believe that people like get up in the morning with the intent of just trying to mess up somebody's day. And she said, you don't see that because that's not what you get up to do every day. And so if you think about it like that, if you're listening to this and you've been questioning your yourself, if you're questioning the fact that you didn't see this in advance or what could you have done? You can never be responsible for somebody else's choices, right? And the narcissist is making choices on a regular basis to get what they want. It doesn't have anything to do with what your needs are. Your needs may only be getting satisfied or fulfilled because it's serving a purpose for them. And when it stops serving a purpose for them, they can cut it off like a water faucet. Okay? So these different dynamics, these things suit the narcissist because when their mask starts to slip and their partner is able to put more on, more effort in when they're with that empath, when they start to show their true colors, the empath sees that as, oh my gosh, I don't know what's wrong with them and I really want to help them get back to who they used to be because it takes a long time to realize that you're now seeing who they are. Who you saw before was the mask. Now this is the real person. And whether it's the empath, the strong person, the person that has vulnerabilities, uh, who is my number three, um, the person with all, or type A, any one of those four people, 
once you've been taken in by the narcissist, once you've been charmed, once you hit a place where you're in love with them or so in like with them that you're trying to see a future with them, it's really hard for you to stop trying to, to get them back to who that person was when this all started. And that's what the cycle looks like. That's what, what it's almost like a relationship hamster wheel, this emotional uh, circle or cycle of then they go back and do something nice and you fall back into feeling comfortable again until they rear up another narcissistic episode of abuse. And then you're just constantly questioning yourself. And this is one of the reasons it just cycles and it's hard for people to really get out in one, one clean swoop, right? Um, and that empath, the fourth person I was talking about, they want to see this person healthy and healed. So they just try to hang in there. So that, that can be a really, really difficult one. So I want to I want to open it up right now. We got a, a little time left. I want to open it up and ask anybody feel like they've had an experience with somebody that might have had a lot of these narcissistic traits and you felt like you were in one of these or like my girlfriend said to me about an hour ago, she said, I know we're both magnets. She said it's the empathy part. And the fact that if you're successful, the very first one, some of you might've missed it. Hey, Monica, some of you might've missed the first one. If you're really successful, you're on the ball. They are drawn to you. They are, and that's not unusual because a lot of people are drawn to you. Most people like hanging around with somebody who's got their shiggity together. But narcissists are drawn to you for a different reason. They want that shine. They want that glow that's coming off of you. They want, they want to rub up against you because it's going to make them look better. But as the relationship progresses, you'll see that they also want to be the one to break all that down. Because see, then if you can become, if they can get a strong person underneath them, they feel powerful. They are like Zeus. They, they, they have just become a demigod. If they can look at you and, and get control of you, oh man, that's like a power junkie's, that's a meth attack for a power junkie. So thoughts, comments, questions, reactions from anybody who's here with us tonight. And thank you for joining. I want to thank anybody who's listening, streaming, and definitely remember to, to uh, share this with your friends, your family, and visit me on my YouTube channel so that you can, you can catch up there. Hey, Wanda. Wanda snuck in here right at the end. Good to see you. For those of you who don't know, Wanda was out here visiting with us last week. Matter of fact, Wanda, I make... Folks that don't know, I sew, and I'm actually wearing something that I, I made last week while Wanda was here, so she got to see it. So next week is part four of this four-part series on just looking at narcissism, taking a deeper a deeper dive into, hey, Graciela, how are you doing? Oh, no, I'm sorry, Graciela. Uh, we're looking at narcissism in four parts. This was part three. This was who are they attracted to and are you a magnet? But next week, I'm going to be talking about different things that you can do, ways to recover from being in a narcissistic relationship, from narcissistic abuse. So next week is recovering how and how you can recover from narcissistic abuse. The week after that, I'm going to be dissecting the unhealthy messaging from that Jonah Hill and Sarah uh, Brady text debacle that you're starting to see popping up everywhere. And it really is an interesting thing because it's, it's interesting for somebody to open up. And she said she didn't even share all of the bad stuff. She said she really wanted to show some respect to his family, his new girlfriend that just had a baby. She said, but she just thought it was important for people to hear this because she said it's emotional abuse. 
it, it's emotional abuse. And to be able to read their com- conversation back and forth and to hear this dialogue, it, it really is a great lesson for, for, for people who I work with and for all of us. She said young girls should look at it. I think everybody should look at it because if these conversations sound remotely familiar, you should probably take a step back and question what's going on in the relationship that you're in, because it may not be a healthy relationship. And this may be the impetus for you to figure out how can I get out of this? I I need to, I need to, maybe I need to get some help and figure out, you know, was I in this longer than I should have been? Or did this not look, when did this get to a point where I realized it wasn't healthy and now I'm ready to get out of it. So that's the, that's the next two weeks recovering from narcissistic abuse and dissecting those Jonah Hill and, and uh, Sarah Brady text messages. So I am going to say goodnight. I don't see anybody here with their hand up, so I am going to let you go. I want to thank everybody for joining me tonight, and I will see you here next Thursday on Divorce is Not a Destination. Good night, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Divorce is Not a Destination. Please recommend the show to friends and family. You can join my live audience and see upcoming shows by registering for access at firesidechat.com forward slash Lisa Summer Hour. Connect with me on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Divorce Is Not A Destination. And catch replays here on Fireside, my YouTube channel, or your favorite streaming service. Until next time, remember, I'm here to help you get unstuck, gain confidence, and thrive beyond your breakup or divorce. Because divorce is not a destination.